This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean, and today we are going to be rolling through all of our weekend games for the NFL, all the Sunday games specifically. So we're going to highlight six games plus Sunday Night Football. We're going to run through the rest of the scores, and to do that with me, as always, I have Dave Guberman and Eric Hitch. How you doing, Dave? I'm good, Max. Thanks for having me on. A nice week four to round out the first quarter of this season. And it may have just been the day of the backup quarterback, so I'm ready to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, we saw some rookie quarterback action, too. Eric, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, ever since, you know, the whole preseason, not starting the starters anymore, really playing them at all preseason, I usually like to think now the first month as finding out which teams are legit and which teams are just believers. And, you know, through four games, I think we have a solid idea of the teams that are true contenders this year and teams that... Might just uh, be another year for them. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the first two, maybe three weeks are can, can be deceptive. Um, some teams round into shape. Some teams, um, attrition hits them early and their season gets lost pretty quickly. But I feel like we have an idea of who teams are right now. And I, I think we had a really nice slate of games. Now, I will say that all three of our teams won this week, which was a nice change. Um, Jets, Eagles, and Titans all won. And I believe that they're all two and two or better. So we actually, this is the first time in a while I've gotten to do an NFL podcast where the Jets weren't pretty much out of it early in the season. You know, So I actually get to root for them as we go. Now, let's jump into it because we do have quite a few games to go over. We're going to start with the London game, the Saints versus the Vikings. So we had a lot of games that came down to the wire, and it seems like that's been you know a pretty consistent story for the NFL this year. This one was no different. The Saints defense played pretty well overall. Um, they pretty much contained a Vikings offense that has been a little hit or miss versus some teams they've absolutely gone off versus some teams they've been a little bit more, I don't want to say stagnant, but restrained perhaps. Ultimately, it ended with a missed 61-yard field goal attempt as time expired to tie the game. The Vikings won 28-25. I should say that the same kicker who missed that field goal did have a heroic 60-yard converted field goal not long before. The the Vikings took the lead with a touchdown, but they did miss the the, uh, extra point prior to that. So that gave them only a three-point lead, which is what led to all of the the field goal fun. But basically, Cousins went one for one, or I should say one touchdown, one interception. The touchdown was to Alexander Madison running back, and then there was a rushing touchdown by Justin Jefferson, which is a little bit back and forth. But they had five field goals, which is what gave them the 28 points in the end. And then Andy Dalton, one touchdown, no picks. That one went to Chris Olave and uh, a rushing touchdown to both Latavius Murray and Taysom Hill. Tyron Matthew got one pick, and that basically is what rounded out that game. Dave, what were your takeaways from this one? Yeah, so it started early this morning, 9.30 in London. Nice to see our first international game of the season. But to me, two things kind of stood out in this one. And the first was obviously the Saints were undermanned coming into this game. They had no Jameis Winston. Alvin Kamara was ruled out as a late scratch. And Michael Thomas was also out with an injury as well. So they ran with Andy Dalton, one of the many backup quarterbacks who showcased what they could do for their teams today, who played very efficient, mistake-free football. But the Saints racked up 10 penalties for over 100 yards so that really killed them 
And the other thing that I was hard not to notice was the return of Justin Jefferson. Over the past two weeks, he had nine catches for 62 yards. So I know everyone was worried about his production over these past two weeks. But he came back with a vengeance, putting up 10 catches for 147 yards, as well as a rushing touchdown. So he definitely got the better of Marshawn Lattimore in this one. But that last kick with the double doink giving me flashbacks to Cody Parkey with the Bears in the playoffs. Because when I saw that live, I could not believe that hit the, the post and then the crossbar off the bounce. So that was a tough, tough way to lose for New Orleans. But it was an entertaining game for the London fans to watch. Yeah, for sure. And a couple of stats that really stood out to me was, again, Justin Jefferson. He came into this week with only nine targets and or nine receptions, rather, in his past two games. And today he had 10. And typically, you know, with the top wide receiver one, you know, typically nine catches is something you get every week or at least at least close to that. And being held to only nine catches in, in week three and uh, or week two and three. Uh, definitely wasn't ideal. So, you know, the fans wanted him to start getting involved more. You know, definitely the offensive coordinator and the head coach obviously wanted to get him involved more. And they did exactly that. And he had a tough matchup with Marshawn Lattimore, as you know, what he did with Mike Evans previously. And overall, he's just a very well-respected corner. But again, it just shows how dominant Jefferson really is and can be. Yeah, he's a tremendous, tremendous player. And I want to throw some love to the Saints receiver, Chris Olave, too. Even though he's a smaller guy, he played with a lot of strength at the catch point today, which I was a fan of. I mean, his touchdown was contested, came down strong with that, had another catch where I actually noted that he, you know, had that the nice, um, nice strong hands there. So even though it's something he wasn't necessarily known for, I, I thought it was a job well done by him. And Latavius Murray also on the Saints. Really embracing his role as the short yardage back. Um, punched one in for a score, a lot of physicality. Now, later in his career, that's pretty much what he can do. And and he does it really, really well. And look, that double doink, man. I, I mean, that was even closer than the original double doink. And then hit the, hit the upright, hit the crossbar. I still thought it was going in after that, but didn't quite make it. It's the closest missed field goal I have ever seen watching the NFL. And Max, I'm going to add to, you know, with Latavius Murphy and the rushing attack for New Orleans, I'm just, I, I got to just get this off my chest. I, I even tweeted, I don't understand. We've seen this Taysom Hill wildcat direct snap running it, you know, and he did have one nice run today, but it just always seems like a, just a waste of a play. And even when, you know, when Breeze was still there, like why, why take him out and just, do this play that's usually minus minus a yard or maybe at most a, a gain of a couple. Like Latavius Murray was averaging five point two yards a carry today. I don't, I just don't understand why they love that wild wildcat formation so much with Taysom Hill. It seems like he's always going to get the ball at least four to five times a game. And I don't know if it was me personally. Maybe maybe I'm not as in tuned in with the New Orleans fan base, but I would just be scratching my head every time they do that that type of play because it it just drives me insane every time I see it just from an NFL fan perspective well I think you know one of the the things about that is you you do get a big run every once in a while I think they had a, a touchdown run off of that earlier but really more than anything I I do believe that it's just something that the opposing defense has to to game plan for every single week so you're just putting more on their plate it's something that you just kind of keep in your back pocket all year you know run it and if it if they can't stop it then you just keep pumping it out there. But it's just something that they, they have to plan for as well. All right, that takes us to the AFC South, where the Indianapolis Colts were coming off a pretty pretty big win over the Kansas City Chiefs. The Tennessee Titans did also get their first win over the Raiders last year or last week. But basically, the Titans got out to an early lead. Matt Ryan fumbled on the opening drive. Tan Hill threw a touchdown to Robert Woods off a play-action pass. Derrick Henry quickly scored on a nice run to put them up 14-0. Um, they exchanged field goals, but then Tannehill hit Chigokonkwo for the Titans' third touchdown, and it just kind of never really... Even though the Colts tried, they were down seven, missed a field goal, Titans converted um, to run the clock out. So it was just like, you know, I'll let you, Dave, talk about this game a little bit more specifically, but 
But the reality is that it did kind of always feel like the Titans had this one in the bag. I mean, they definitely won the uh, turnover battle. Um, Tannehill went two touchdowns, no picks. Uh, Derrick Henry had a rushing touchdown. Chigo Conquo had the receiving touchdown. Robert Woods also had his one field goal, 24 points. That's it. Pretty straightforward. Ryan, two touchdowns, both to Mo Ali Cox, one pick to Tyre Tart that was tipped at the line to finish with. 17 points. So, I mean, look, the Colts got a lot of work to do if they want to be competitive, you know? Yeah, and Max, I know what you mean when you say that it felt like the the Titans kind of had this in the bag for most of the game because we came out like gangbusters. And when I say we, I don't mean to be biased, but the Titans came out like gangbusters and scored on their, I think, their first three drives. So they scored 20, 20, all 24 points in the first half to take a 24-3 lead, but that second half, this is becoming a tale of the Titans' season so far, is great first half execution and production, and then getting shut out in the second half. So this is back-to-back weeks. They have squeaked away a win without scoring a single point after halftime. So I know that's something they're going to want to clean up as they move forward, but today in particular was the third ever matchup between the reigning two Triple Crown winners in Jonathan Taylor from last year and Derrick Henry from 2020, who both led the league in carries, rushing yards, and rushing touchdowns those respective years. And today, there was a clear-cut winner in that department, and that was King Henry, who had 114 yards and a touchdown, and Jonathan Taylor had 2.1 yards a carry, which were his fewest in a game in his career when he had at least 20 rushing attempts. And the previous low was 3.4. So he went way below that today. So shout out to the Titans D-line and their front seven because they really shut down the reigning rushing champ from last year. Yeah, I believe he came out with an injury too. Yeah, Max, also as well, you know, you were saying the Colts need to put some stuff together if they want to start being competitive. And unfortunately, I think this is this is probably their, their best uh, best shot they had so far this year at, you know, getting a second win. They Matt Ryan, I think, had his best game going 27-37, 356 yards. Again, he had the interception, but the two touchdowns as well. And from the the defensive side perspective for Indianapolis, you know, no, nothing against Tannehill or anything like that, but, you know, you lost A.J. Brown. I know Traylon Burke supposedly went off on a cart today. So you have your first round pick now. Might be done for the season. We'll see. And Robert Woods really hasn't been what he was brought over here to do, and that was, you know, take A.J. Brown's place. And still, Derrick Henry was able to run for 114 yards and average 5.2 yards a carry. I mean... If you're in Indianapolis, I'm sure they stacked the box. I, I wasn't paying too close attention to this game, but it just really shows, one, how great Derrick Henry is, and but two, it just shows the Colts really really might just not be a great team this year, unfortunately. And, you know, I think I, I had my, my pick as Frank Reich being the first coach fired this year. We'll see if it's midway through the year at the end of the year, but... Like I said, I think this was the Colts' best chance today, and this was their best effort they've had all year, and just wasn't enough. Only only scoring seventeen points too. It's just it's not good enough in today's NFL. Well, I mean, it was his best day passing, maybe from an efficiency standpoint, but he also had multiple fumbles and just never looked comfortable. I think their offensive line just just isn't there. Uh, you know, I it's I don't want to put it all on Matt Ryan because I thought he made some pretty impressive plays, especially given his age. You know, what I mean, like escaping pressure left throwing slightly right across his body to to get it in there I think that was the Paris Campbell on the particular play I'm thinking of but like I still see some really great play there but I just don't think there's enough around him and just just to speak to the point that I don't think I think look the Titans game plan is pretty clear run Derrick Henry effectively and then operate play action off of that and and that worked and you know, if you can't stop Derrick Henry, then 
even if there are limitations in the receiver department, you you don't force them to be one dimensional. You know what I mean? Like they they force your defense to be one dimensional, and and that worked today. And you know, I think it's tough for them because this would have been a big win and and kept them right at the lead for the division. In fact, maybe even had the lead being only that would have been two and one and one, but now they're zero and two and one. So they they're behind both the Jaguars and the Titans now. So I, I think. I don't want to say they're out of it, but they need a sharp turnaround to get back into this thing. Yeah, and we had a, as you kind of said before, turnovers were definitely a big part of this game because the Colts had three, the Titans had zero. So the Titans played mistake-free football. As I've said before on this podcast, one of the big things last year for the Titans was turnovers decided pretty much every game they played. If they won the turnover battle, they would win. If they lost it, they would lose. So they won that this game. And it led to their win. Another huge player, probably the MVP of this game, who I need to shout out, is Danico Autry. Mm -hmm. Our acquisition, the Titans acquisition from Indianapolis this past offseason, who just signed a three-year deal in Nashville. And in his first game, playing against his former team, he had two sacks, a forced fumble, and killed what might have been their potentially game-tying drive late in the fourth quarter with a big sack. So he played great all day and really kind of helped shut down Jonathan Taylor and make their offense pretty one-dimensional all day. This is a recipe for success for them. Efficient football that runs the ball well, plays out of play action, and then plays good, solid defense, which is exactly what they did today. And I think, you know, you got some very good players up front. Yes, losing Harold Landry hurt, but but I mean, uh, Jeffrey Simmons is one of the best inside. Dinico Autry, you still have yourself Bud Dupree. You have a solid linebacking core and a bunch of very talented, while young players on the back end to go along with Kevin Byard. So, I mean, I think, yes, they have had some issues. They definitely did not play well the first two weeks. They definitely need to close out second halves. But it looks like they are on the right track, I will say that. So let's run over to what would have been a revenge game had it gone slightly differently. We had the Jacksonville Jaguars going to Philadelphia, led by now head coach of the Jaguars, Doug Peterson, against his old team. And initially, it looked like he was going to do just that. He was going to rub it in their face. The Jags got out to an early start with a touchdown and a pick six from Andre Sitlin. The touchdown was from the offense. Pick six was from Andre Sisko. Uh, but kind of after that, it slowed down. I was pretty impressed overall with the Jags. But the Eagles did fight back, tied it up, eventually took the lead, got out to a pretty substantial lead. There was a moment where I did think that the Jags might come back. But ultimately, they were able to get the stop in Philly. Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence went two touchdowns to one pick, both to Jamal Agnew. And uh, Jalen Hurts didn't have any touchdowns through the air. He did have one interception. But he ran for a touchdown. Miles Sanders ran for two touchdowns. And uh, Kenny Gainwell ran for a touchdown as well. So they had a lot of success on the ground. They ultimately had 29 points to the Jags. 21 and James Bradbury had his pick on Trevor Lawrence Andre Cisco's I've already mentioned so like I, I you got to be impressed with the Philadelphia Eagles slower start than we've seen from them but ultimately was a very complete game and they stuck to their bread and butter which was running the ball in some pretty terrible weather yeah like you said the Eagles can definitely run the ball I think there were two things that kind of stood out for me after this super quick 14-0 start by the Jaguars including that 59-yard pick six, the Eagles' defense really shined throughout the entire rest of the game. They forced five turnovers from Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence had four lost fumbles. I know the weather was bad, one of which he dropped all together, all on his own without being touched by a defender. But his four lost fumbles are the most in a game by any quarterback since 1991. And that's five giveaways are the most giveaways he's had in a game in his whole career. So clearly the Trevor Lawrence growing pains are not done quite yet. So that Philly defense looked great. Hassan Reddick was a one-man wrecking crew for the majority of this game. And the other thing was the, Philly, the Eagles ground and pound 
was on full display. Like you said, they outgained the Jags on the ground, 210 to 71. They had 30 more rushing attempts than the Jaguars, and they still had a better yards per carry average. So they really ran it right down their throat. Miles Sanders earned his paycheck with 27 carries for 134 yards and a pair of touchdowns. So kind of those, along with all those Trevor Lawrence turnovers, kind of really decided kind of how this game was going to play out. Yeah, and I had a uh, inside scoop in the stadium. My parents were at the game, both of them, and they said it was cold and nasty, and I'm about an hour away from Philly, and it was the same here. So I was curious to see really how this offense was going to look with, you know, this this downpour and the cold and just something you're not really used to in October. And Jalen Hurts maybe not had his best day, but he did what he had to do. And as an Eagles fan, that's what you're looking for, especially if you're deciding if he's the guy or not. I mean, again, not the greatest that line, but he was able to lead the offense to a victory. And at the end of the day, what matters most in the QB section for stats is wins. And he did just that. Uh, Miles Sanders, Again, like you guys said, had a had a career day with career touches and 134 yards as well to go with that with 27 carries. Uh, he looked great. He's also looking for a pay for a paycheck uh, this offseason as well. I think this is his last year on his deal, and he definitely definitely looked the best he's looked this this year so far. And one other big key story that I think going into this game was. We were pretty thin at cornerback. We already lost Devontae Maddox. And then Darius Slay went out pretty early with a forearm injury, I believe it was. And Christian Kirk, who has been their top receiver for the Jaguars so far this year, usually likes to play the slot. And that's where Avante Maddox plays. No Avante Maddox, so he was seeing a lot of Josiah Scott. And Josiah Scott did pretty well as Christian Kirk only finished the game with two receptions for 60 yards. I mean, he did have one that, that one... Nice long ball for 45 yards. But other than that, he they did a very good job with him. And I think that was really a big key. And again, Hassan Reddick causing those two fumbles. He had two two sacks. Two of those sacks were uh, forced fumbles. He finished also with four solo, tackle, four solo tackles, a tackle for loss. So again, Hassan Reddick now is starting to, starting to show himself to the Philadelphia faithful as he had a slow start first two weeks to the season. But now these past two weeks now we've truly seen what why we paid him this much money yeah well I mean I think this is the second time in two weeks and the first two times we've seen it this year where inclement weather has really benefited the home team we saw it last week in Miami bills were absolutely gassed cramping up exhausted I think we even saw that affect their game this week to be perfectly honest and uh, now this week with the Philadelphia Eagles playing in bad weather rain cold Jacksonville Jaguars were not fully prepared for that. Um, I'm not sure how many cold weather games Trevor Lawrence has played in his career at this point. He grew up in Georgia, played at Clemson, mostly in the Southeast Conference, and plays in, obviously, Jacksonville is his hometown now. So I don't think that there are a ton of bad weather games because even Indianapolis is a domed stadium. So it's like, I, I think overall, probably has been relatively insulated from that. So if he wants to play playoff football... That's going to be something that he has to clean up for sure. And uh, one last little key stat, not trying to be biased at all, but the Eagles are <laughs> the only remaining undefeated team in the NFL. And the last time they went 4-0 was the 2004 season. And that year, the Eagles went to a Super Bowl. Just saying. Well, I definitely think it's worth noting that they're the last undefeated team. And I thought that was going to end today, the way the game looked early. But they did fight back and basically cemented their place comfortably at the top of the NFC. Even the traditional dominant teams in that conference haven't looked as good overall over these first four weeks as the Eagles, so I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a deceptive record. All right, let's jump into that Buffalo game. So we had the Buffalo Bills and the Baltimore Ravens going head-to-head in a game that was a stalemate for the entire fourth quarter um, early Marlon Humphrey picked off Josh Allen on an errant throw on the first drive. J.K. Dobbins punched it in immediately on a shovel pass. Dobbins scored again quickly on the ground, so he looks like he is back. He didn't have a huge yardage stat line, but it was an effective day, not to mention the two touchdowns. Uh, And then Josh Allen 
heated up a bit. He hit Isaiah McKenzie uh, for a touchdown and rushed for his own touchdown as well. So that was all of the touchdowns for the Bills. There were three field goals in total to give them 23 points. Like I said, the entire fourth quarter was a stalemate, including a, I think, a nine- nine or ten minute drive by the Ravens that resulted in an interception on fourth down at the goal line. Bills drove down the field in two minutes, helped by a personal foul, and kicked a field goal as the clock ran down to win. Jackson, Lamar Jackson, that is, finished with one touchdown, two interceptions, both to Jordan Poyer, and of course the two touchdowns uh, by J.K. Dobbins. And so basically, uh, it was It wasn't a high-flying game, but it was a very fun game to watch. These are just two incredibly complete teams uh, with two very good quarterbacks against good defenses duking it out. So I enjoyed this one very much. This was the main game that I was watching along with the Jets earlier today. So, uh, I mean, it's you got to love these running quarterbacks. They just bring a different element. Yeah, and to me, this was kind of the game of the week as we went into today because it had Josh Allen versus Lamar Jackson, probably two of the top three MVP candidates to go with Jalen Hurts as we move into the first quarter of the season. So, and all this talk about the two dual threat quarterbacks, um, Lamar and Josh Allen, both led their teams in rushing in this game. So they definitely lived up to that building. Josh Allen had a nice rushing touchdown to tie the game in the second half. But... This was really a tale of two halves. The Bills couldn't do anything in this first half. And the Ravens built a nice 20-3 lead. We saw probably the actual return of J.K. Dobbins. I know he played in limited fashion last week, but today he really showed out, had two touchdowns, became the first player in Ravens franchise history to have a rushing and a receiving touchdown in the same quarter. So he definitely showcased his value to that offense as we move forward into the season. But to me, what stands or the real kind of turning point in this game was when the Bills defense held the Ravens late in the second quarter. The Bills had an 11 percent chance to win, according to next gen stats. And Josh Allen got the ball back, drove 76 yards for a touchdown to cut the lead to 10 and then that kind of led them up for their second half. The Bills have not allowed a point in any third quarter so far this year. And they continued that today by shutting out the Ravens the entire second half. Yeah, for sure. I know we were super, I know pretty much everybody was super, if you're an NFL community, you were super high on the Bills as the first two weeks they looked unstoppable. Really, no one looked even close to their level in the past two weeks. Now they've kind of come back down to earth a little bit and today Josh Allen probably had his worst game so far this season definitely from a yardage perspective only finishing with 213 yards in the air and again had another interception as well and finished today with a 71.8 QBR so Ravens Ravens did a good job they definitely gave it a definitely gave it a good shot you know again not great weather conditions I was hearing down in Maryland as well so yeah, I, I I don't really think there's any much, anything else much to say from that perspective. Um, but again, Josh Allen is Josh Allen. He's gonna find a way to win, and Buffalo comes out three and one. And it's definitely been a tough last two games. And you know the resilience of this team really just shows the maturity and how much of a hard time they're gonna be the rest of this year. Well, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that they were in those weather conditions in Miami last year. It took a lot out of them. It was, you know, exhausting, dehydrating, and they probably were not able to practice as much this week in in, in an attempt to recover, and they immediately went up against another very good team. So I, I, I do admit that it wasn't his best game, but I also kind of think there's a built-in reason there. So I do have an expectation that this team's going to kind of round back to form in the next week or two weeks and, and be continue to be one of the best that they that there is in the NFL. All I was going to say was to bring up that call that was made by John Harbaugh to go for it on fourth and goal from the two when it was a tie game. They can kick a field goal to go up by three. Instead, they opt to go for it. And Lamar buys time, buys time. Nobody's open. So he throws an interception. And then the Bills 
don't get it at the two. They get it at the 20 and go down for the game-winning field goal at the buzzer. So I was curious about your guys' take on that call, whether you think that they should have gone for it. I know he stands by it based on the analytics post-game, but I had plenty of friends of mine who were not happy with how aggressive the Ravens were, especially late in the fourth quarter. Well, I think the one thing about that is that you've seen what Josh Allen has done regularly. I mean, he is a master of fourth quarter comebacks. He's had so many drives at the end of games because he has his legs. Uh, he just, it's so hard to stop him when when it's a do or die situation because he'll pretty much put his body on the line and do whatever it takes. So I think they thought that if they could just score, and you know what a threat Lamar Jackson is on the ground from what it was basically the one or two yard line, they thought that they could punch it in. They thought that they could set up a pass play. Lamar could just make something happen if he had to. Didn't work out that way. The Bills pressure was too good. He basically threw falling away and Jordan Poyer caught it kind of sliding almost out of the end zone. So it was it was a pretty tremendous play on his part. So, I mean, I, I think traditionally speaking, yeah, you'd kick the field goal. I, I kind of like the aggression. I think that you can... I think that if they had won, people would be saying something different. I think this is just one of those situations where no matter what you chose, the outcome would dictate if people thought it was a good idea or not. So I, I like it personally speaking. But um, let's go go. Bleh. Let's go to the New York Jets win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now this was the first game that we saw with a rookie quarterback this year. Of course, Mitch Trubisky sat at the second half. Kenny Pickett came in. The Jets went up early in this game. It's the first time they've, they've led the game substantially for a while. Uh, they kind of looked like they were the best team easily, even though the Jets' offensive line is pretty dreadful right now due to injuries. Um, the Steelers came back in in part due to some of the play from, from Mitch Trubisky, um, but... It didn't seem that the Steelers cared. They just felt that the performance wasn't good enough, and they decided to put Pickett in. Early returns on that looked very, very good, but needless to say, the Jets ended up walking away with the win. Trubisky didn't score. He threw no touchdowns. He did throw an interception to LaMarcus Joyner, I believe was his first one. Pickett scored two rushing touchdowns. And took the lead. So I think, you know, Steelers fans were pretty hyped. The stadium was pretty loud. Then Pickett went on to throw three interceptions. Uh, one to Jordan Whitehead. One again to LaMarcus Joyner. And one to Michael Carter the second. So the Jets defense heated up and, and helped lead the way. But the big story for this was Zach Wilson's return to the field after his injury. He only threw one touchdown. He threw two interceptions. Uh, one wasn't his fault. It was just a tip ball on a well-thrown pass. And uh, he did catch a touchdown from Braxton Berrios. But the reality is we all wondered what he was going to look like after all this time. A rough start to the year last year as a rookie. Closed the season well with an absolutely awful surrounding cast. Looked pretty good in training camp. Entered the preseason through an interception and got hurt and missed the first three games of the year. So it was a question mark. But overall, he looked incredibly poised. Um, few rusty moments, no doubt about it. But there were a couple key situations. A fourth and seven with 10 minutes left that the Jets felt they had to go for to stay competitive. He stood in the pocket and threw an absolute strike. So the Jets were able to come back from a 10 to 20 deficit uh, with a touchdown pass to Corey Davis. And then uh, a touchdown run from uh, Brees Hall as time basically expired in the game. So that's the story of the Jets. I mean, overall, uh, a lot of iffy, but I think the most important thing, the one thing that you just need to have go right went pretty well. Yeah, and like you said, I think shout out to Zach Wilson for being the first quarterback in Jets history to catch a touchdown pass. And his gritty after the fact, not too shabby. So shout out to Zach Wilson. Welcome back. <laughs> but I know it may have taken him some time to kind of get into the rhythm of the game. He was 8 for 24 with 124 yards and two picks in the first three quarters. 
But when you want your quarterback to play good, it's late in the fourth quarter when things matter. And in the fourth quarter, he definitely shined going 10 for 12 with 128 yards and a touchdown with no interceptions. So he definitely shined in the fourth quarter. But I think the big story is the emergence or the the benching of Trubisky, I should say, and whether this could be the beginning of the Kenny Pickett era in Pittsburgh, question mark, I'm Ron Burgundy, question mark. So <laughs> I know there was some good, some bad with Pickett. I think he showcased some more cautious recklessness with some of his throws, giving guys like Pickens and Deontay and Claypool a chance to make a play on the ball downfield. With that, there come some cons like his three interceptions. He did only have three incompletions, but sadly all three of them were resulted in interceptions. So that wasn't good. But he did become the first quarterback in NFL history to have two rushing touchdowns in their career debut. So that was a bright spot to see for Kenny Pickett. But yeah, I'm curious to hear if you guys think that we might see him moving forward or whether I know Tomlin was non-committal on next week or moving forward about who the quarterback might be. But I know that there are some people already calling for Pickett to be the guy moving forward. And as we kind of move forward to the rest of the season. Yeah, I don't have much to say about this game other than me ranting about about time that Kenny Pickett finally, you know, came into the game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I once J.J. Watt went or excuse me, T.J. Watt went down. You knew the defense was going to take a pretty big hit. Obviously, it's pretty hard to replace T.J. Watt. I don't think anybody really can replace him, but. He's going to be out for a significant amount of time, and now today, Minka Fitzpatrick goes down with a knee injury, so we'll see what his timetable is like. I know if you're a Steelers fan, you don't want to hear this, but it's an evaluation year. I know with Big Ben being on your team, you know you had the the B screw back in the day with Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. I, I think it's time this year, it's time to just do an evaluation process, and it upsets me that it took so long for Kenny Pickett to get in there because the more playing time he had the more you can find out if if he's if he's the real deal or not uh I guess it's better sooner rather than later so he does get in this game again doesn't look great did have two rushing touchdowns though which is nice to see not he's willing to sacrifice the body getting there for in the end zone but yeah I mean Pittsburgh now is one and three I I don't see what's what 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 is Trubisky going to bring to this team that Pickett doesn't bring? Well, I think at this point it doesn't make sense to go back to Trubisky. Pickett Pickett brought juice at the very least. You know he he was he threw a, a really nice pass, got smashed by Quinn Williams, got up laughing. Like there's just a different energy with him there, and there's no doubt about it. That's something that you only see if you're you know, watching the game live and, and you see those little moments here and there. But it, it, it he clearly affected the game in a positive overall way. I think he's going to have to get used to the speed of the game just like any other rookie. I mean, he did have a tendency to, to just maybe you know, over-trust his receivers. There was one he threw up, and I think Pat Fryermuth, you, you hope he comes down to it, but also there was two defenders in the area, and it was kind of skied so they had time to get in position and Frymer didn't come down with it tipped it up a little bit but that it just means there's more jets around to end up coming down with the ball so I think you know I wouldn't be surprised if he if he has a pretty quick learning curve uh, his athleticism does help I mean the rushing touchdowns weren't flukes like he he had athletic moves you know what I mean he's he's an athletic quarterback now he's he's not Lamar Jackson, he's not Josh Allen, but he is pretty big. He's around 220 pounds at 6'3", so he can handle it. Uh, I don't think it's something that you want to be a key part of his game, but in do-or-die downs, it does bring an added element. I think you roll with him now. I don't think it makes any sense to go back to Trubisky. Uh, you just mess with the confidence for both players. And I will shout out Minka Fitzpatrick, who is maybe my top defensive player to watch I don't know if he's the best but he's one of the best and he's one of my favorites he's just so fun he he just flies all around the field he went out with an injury came 
back in. Um, so I think, or I can't remember if he stayed out. Now I'm, now my memory's hazy. It's getting late on Sunday night. But uh, he, he had his interception. Again, that one wasn't Wilson's fault. That went right through the hands of his tight end and into Mick Fitzpatrick's hands. Um, so, but shout out to him because he's just always in the right place at the right time. And then Cortland, uh, Cam, Cameron Sutton um, had a pick as well. Again, dropped off his defender in a deep zone and, and picked off Zach Wilson. So uh, the defense is good. The defense did make it very hard on Zach Wilson early. You will always be able to rely on them for the rest of the year, I think, even if Minka Fitzpatrick isn't there, although he's key. Um, but on the offense, you just just roll with the kid and, and, and get out of it what you can. Yeah, exactly, Max. I 100% agree. And his next, you know, if they do go with the kid, his next three matchups aren't aren't going to be favorable. You got the Bills at Bills, uh, against the Bucks, and then at Miami. So, again, I... I, I don't think you can expect much from the Steelers this year as they're already one and three, but just let him let him play. Just see what he's got against these top tier teams. I mean, maybe the Bucks aren't, you know, what they used to be a couple of years ago, but you know, Miami and Bills, they're definitely up there and probably one of the best teams in the league. So just let him let let them let him play. Let's see what he got. All right. That takes us to our final afternoon game. This was the Green Bay Packers versus the New England Patriots in a game that was much closer than I expected and the other game that featured a rookie quarterback. Brian Hoyer went out very early with an injury, so we saw the regular season debut of Bailey Zappi, and yes, he does look exactly like Mac Jones. Yes, I did see that in the preseason, and it was apparent, especially with their helmet on. If they weren't wearing different jerseys, you wouldn't know the difference. They even have the same exact accessories, little arm sleeves and everything. So um, that's, I do find that funny a little bit, but um, I guess it's just a coincidence. Now, Christian Watson, early jet motion touchdown to put the Packers up. It seems like that's something that they're going to need to continue using because the inexperience of the wide receivers is a continuing storyline for this team. Just miscues, um, not running the right routes. You can just Pretty much the entire game, see Aaron Rodgers just shaking his head after every incompletion. Like, you know, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He didn't adjust to the ball like he was supposed to. Um, The Patriots did benefit from their defense scoring. Jonathan Jones with a pick six on Aaron Rodgers, which, again, I think that was Rodgers. I think that was his fault. But, again, uh, I wouldn't be 100% sure of that just based on the situation. Um they also had a touchdown from Damian Harris and a touchdown reception from Bailey Zappi to Devontae Parker. That was the total of their scoring and a field goal to give them a 24-point finish. Rodgers had his two touchdowns, uh, one to Lazard, one to Tanyan, and uh, they had one field goal as well that had them at 24. That took them to overtime, and Rodgers drove down the field basically as time expired in overtime and kicked the field goal to win the game. I know that they're a little bit weaker on offense. They still have a pretty solid defense. I did not expect the Patriots to take it to the wire like this, especially with their third-string rookie seventh-round pick quarterback, I think Zappi was. So you just got to give a shout-out to Bill Belichick's coaching. And to comment on Belichick, I have never seen him that pissed off on the sideline. He was given the refs the the runaround. Like he was just yelling at them, throwing things. He was pissed in this game almost from the get go. Yeah, I would be too. I mean, you got Brian Hoyer going down early in the game. You got to bring in somebody that you know you didn't expect to play at all this year, and Zappy and. I, I think the thing that frustrated me the most was the pl- offensive play calling. I know, you know, he probably doesn't have any experience with the starter with the starters. Maybe he did once, you know, Mac Jones went down, so he played a little bit this week in uh, practice with them. But they were so – I mean, I, I understand uh, the last drive I think it was they had in the fourth quarter. They were, like, pinned back near the, the end, near their own uh, end zone, and they just ran the ball three times, which I'm fine with. But in the overtime, they – they were just very passive, and you know, just let's. I mean, Zappi didn't look terrible. I didn't think, you know, I I don't think he was terrible. I don't think he was great, obviously, but give him give him a chance. And 
it seemed like I, I believe it's Matt Patricia that's doing the offensive playing call and just didn't give him that chance. I don't know if that was something Belichick, you know, told him at halftime is just let's just run the ball and let Zappi just kind of, you know, just be there. But I, I really wish they they let Zappi have more chances when it came down to late late side of things. To me, this game starts and ends with Bailey Zappi, man. This, And I know you said he was a seventh-round pick. He was actually a fourth-round pick from Western Kentucky. And he went toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau Field without thinking that he was going to even play. So I got a lot of credit, a lot of props. Go out to Bailey Zappi for keeping the Patriots in this game. I think it was Mike Tannenbaum on ESPN who compared him to either Roger Staubach or Tom Brady. Maybe a little early to be throwing out those names for Bailey Zappi, but he gave him a chance to win. I know they had that one overtime possession after they held the Packers to a punt. They were maybe 5 to 10 yards from being in field goal range right around midfield, but they just couldn't get those extra few yards to get in range. So they had to settle for a punt too, but props to him for making that game as close as it was because once Hoyer went down, another backup to a backup came in and it was Zappi who played his heart out and did what he could and was real poised as we've already said, but it just wasn't enough to get by Rodgers in Lambeau Field. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to give a lot of credit to the kid and he's exactly the kind of quarterback that the Patriots like, guy that goes in doesn't make a lot of mistakes, understands situational football, and we saw all of that. Doesn't have a very strong arm. We saw that, too. I mean, I wouldn't say the ball was exactly zipping to the receivers, but if you can make mistake-free football and you play on a team with a very good offensive line that's very good at running the ball and believes in that as an identity, which the Patriots check all of those boxes, so that's a place where you probably can have more success than just about anywhere else. So, I don't know what the situation is with Hoyer. I didn't double-check on that injury. But considering the Mac Jones situation, this may be uh, this may be a, a, a zappy uh, stretch for a while. This may be a zappy era for a hot minute. Yeah, just to add, to, I, I was really big on Romeo Dobbs coming into the year. I was hearing a lot of great things from him in training camp. And, oof. Man, I mean, he started off with that fumble, but then he came back a little bit. He finished with five five receptions, forty seven yards. But again, that drop that drop touchdown and late in the game, and unfortunately, you know, Aaron Rodgers is gonna start having trust trust issues with Dobbs, and you really you don't really have many more options other than him, Lazard, and Cobb. I know Christian Watson's been kind of underwhelming so far this year. He's only had three. He only had three targets today, so. You know, hopefully for Dobbs, he can just brush this game off and be ready for the next one because Rodgers Rogers is going to need him, especially going toe-to-toe with, you know, Zappi. It is something I don't, I don't think Rodgers was really expecting and having to work as hard as he did for this uh, win today. Yeah, well, I think I like the way that Dobbs plays a lot. I really like him. I think, you know, he's a rookie. He's got a learning curve just like everybody else. I think he's he's shown why you would be excited about a guy like him. Alan Lazard was the clear number one receiver this week. Um, I, I think that's kind of the expectation for him throughout the season. He has that rapport with with uh, Aaron Rodgers, which I think is is really, really key. I mean, just the way that Aaron Rodgers plays the game, he has such an understanding of the nuance of defenses. He knows exactly where he needs the ball to go on any given play. And I don't mean which receiver it needs to go to. I mean where it needs to go and what the trajectory needs to be to get it there. So he is incredible. I mean, I think going into this this week, going into this week, he's has like almost a 75% completion percentage, some, something absolutely ridiculous. So he's playing extremely well. And, and if you have a receiver who also understands where he needs to receive the ball, whether it's back shoulder, whether it's you know diving forward, whether it's stacking quickly and then and and then looking back for the ball or really going deep, it just there are so much nuance to the relationship between Rodgers and his receivers. And right now, Alan Lazard is that guy with Randall Cobb being the number two. Um, so I, I think Dobbs is going to take a little while to get there. I think 
Watson is going to take even longer to get there, but Dobbs has shown you enough early that that it's worthwhile keeping him in the games and getting him those reps and experience. So I think maybe by the end of the year, we'll see a little bit more of that, I would hope, but who, who truly knows? That's going to take us into the Sunday night football matchup that is a rematch of the Super Bowl from 2020. The Kansas City Chiefs going down to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Early in this game, offensively, the Chiefs could do literally whatever they wanted. They racked up a 28-point total in the first half, I believe, just touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. They closed the game out with 41. Mahomes had three touchdowns, uh, one to Edwards Hilaire, one to to Jonah Gray, one to Jody Fortson. Um, excuse me, one to one to Edwards Hilaire, one to Fortson, and one to Travis Kelsey. And then he led Edwards Hilaire had a rushing touchdown, and Jonah Gray also had a rushing touchdown. Um, throw in two field goals, that totals 41. The Bucks, it was a struggle early. They fell to an early uh, deficit. Brady did have a mistake-free game, at least from a uh, interception standpoint. He finished with three touchdowns, two to Mike Evans. Leonard Fournette had a rushing touchdown as well. They did have a push late, but it just it didn't quite get it done. I think it would have been a long shot for them to win. They got close enough at the end that we couldn't start the podcast. We had to sit and kind of see how it played out just in case we saw some late game magic from Brady which has happened before but but the reality is that it just seemed like the Chiefs completely overwhelmed them offensively yeah I think the Chiefs really showcased why it was so important for them to go out and address that O-line after their Super Bowl domination that the Bucks put on them a couple years ago so in this rematch they really kind of showcased why that was so important and what their offense might be able to do and what Mahomes can do, even with against that really, really good Bucks defense with a good O-line, with some protection. So I know we saw some. We got to talk about the Mahomes magic when he extended, scrambled out, extended the play, evaded a couple tackles, and then as he's tiptoeing on the line of scrimmage, he just kind of floats a backyard beanbag toss pass to Hilaire for the touchdown. So that was crazy. I couldn't believe when I saw that happen live. But Mahomes is still Mahomes. He's still a wizard with the ball. So that was awesome to see. I know that. Like you said, Brady did play mistake-free football, had over 350 yards passing, three touchdowns, but it really was kind of an onslaught in that first half. And once it got to 28-10, to 10, after that strip sack by Legereus Sneed, which was recovered by Chris Jones, I felt it was really kind of too much, too tall of a task for the Bucks to kind of keep up especially given the trouble and the struggles the Bucks offense has had the first four weeks of the of the season. Yeah, for sure. And again, Tom Brady, age of 45, throwing the ball 52 times. You don't really want to see that <laughs> if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. Obviously, you want him being able to go the whole season. If he's throwing the ball 52 times, we'll see how long that man can go for. I know, you know, he does the whole TB12, you know, diet or whatever, but I don't, I don't think he could stand a whole season of throwing the ball 52 times. And, you know, they only ran the ball six times as a team. And I understand they had they, they, they had to throw the ball a ton because they were down 28, you know, and tw- we were down, they were down 14-3 even after the first quarter. So they, they had to throw the ball. But when Brady's only given 20 minutes of, 21 minutes of total offensive time of possession, it, for 385 yards and 21 minutes, that's, that's pretty impressive. So Brady's still... Still looks dominant as ever. I swear this guy could play till fifty if you really. And he got to. he got his receivers back today. Godwin came back. He's got Evans back from suspension. So Julio Jones was back today. So he's getting some of his weapons back. It's going to take some time to kind of mesh and, and build some chemistry with those guys as we move forward. But their offense is still kind of a work in progress. Yeah, well, I think the the receivers being back was big, and I don't even think that it was necessarily a bad offensive showing overall. 
you know, it was just the, how do you keep up with a team that can score like that? I mean, the the Bucks have been one of the best defenses in the NFL so far, and the Chiefs made them look like they were basically uncompetitive. I mean, when you saw what Mahomes did with that, with the play you you described, uh, you know, basically making guys miss, running up to the line of scrimmage, then just flipping the ball over his head into the end zone. I mean, you kind of knew that he was just feeling himself at that point and that it was probably going to be a good day for Kansas City. Uh, but just, you know, to, to comment on those receivers for the Buccaneers, I mean, Evans clearly made his impact felt 103 yards on eight, eight receptions for two touchdowns. Chris Godwin, seven receptions for 59 yards. And then I, I'm not sure exactly what I said earlier, but Leonard Fournette had a receiving touchdown on 57 yards of receiving. So, I mean... These guys were impactful. Julio Jones with only one catch for seven yards. So, yes, he was back technically, but I don't think that he was, you know, making a big-time impact. It was really Evans, Godwin, and Fournette getting it going, and Rashad White was the running back who scored on the ground. I mean, and Leonard Fournette, you know, I just looked at this stat line, and I knew it was bad, but I, I didn't realize it was this bad. Their rushing attack totaled three yards. Three yards on the ground. Three carries for Rashad White for six yards. And three carries for Leonard Fournette, negative three yards. So although they did have the one touchdown on the ground, they were truly and utterly one-dimensional. Probably a lot of that had to do with the early deficit. But obviously, the times that they did run it basically was ineffective anyway. Um, So yeah, I mean... Let's do a quick rundown of the week that was. Obviously, we had the Bengals putting a smackdown on the Miami Dolphins, um, 27-15 on Thursday night. We had the Vikings early this morning winning 28-25 over the Saints. The Seahawks and the Lions. The, the Seahawks scored 48 points over the Lions with 45. This is like three out of four weeks where the Lions have both scored and given up over 30 points. Their offense is firing and their defense is just a, a leaky bucket, man. They can't stop anything, apparently. I They are going to have one of the most bizarre point totals for both offense and defensive t- statistics at the end of this season. The Jets win 24-20 over the Steelers. The Bears lose another game to go 2-2 two and two now with only 12 points to the New York Giants, 20 points. Titans, we mentioned, won 24-17 over the Colts. The Chargers beat the Texans in a game that looked closer on paper than I think it really ever was in the reality. And that's 24 to the Texans, 34 to the Chargers. The Browns lost a game to the Falcons, which I think people were not expecting. 23 for the Falcons, 20 for the Browns. The Cowboys close out a resounding victory over the Commanders, 25-10. to 10. Eagles, 29-21 to 21 over the Jaguars. We mentioned Bills also, 23-20, to 20, we commented on, over the Ravens. The Cardinals get another win over the Carolina Panthers. Now, this is one I'm definitely going to have to go back and watch. Uh, because I'm curious to see how that played out. I have very little knowledge of that game because I was taking care of my kids and trying to watch the Packers game. But the Cardinals win 26-16 in a game of two teams that probably are not going anywhere this year. The Raiders beat the Broncos 32-23. So the NFC or the AFC West is the Wild West at this point. I have no idea how any of those teams are going to finish. The Packers beat the Patriots 27-24, and the Chiefs beat the Buccaneers 41-31. And that's going to do it for NFL Sunday this week. We do have the Rams and 49ers coming up tomorrow. I was hoping for a guest spot from Cameron DeSilva from the Rams Wire, but he just had his baby today for for, uh, uh, what I didn't even realize that he was expecting. But So obviously that's not going to happen. So we don't have a Monday night preview for you. This week, I don't think, unless we get one at the very last minute tomorrow morning. So probably going to go one week without that. But congratulations to him, and we'll talk to him again soon. That's going to do it for us today. Dave, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you until we see you on Thursday night. Yeah, you guys can follow my work at Gridiron Heroics. You can also follow me on Twitter at Dave Guberman. 
And don't forget to tighten up. Big game against the Commanders this weekend. So that means a couple of free turnovers from Carson Wentz, most likely. <laughs> All right, Eric, what about you, man? Where can everybody find you? Yeah, you can find me at Twitter at the Real Hitcher, and I'm also going to be doing a petition after this week's games of every NFL stadium should be a dome. It just the games the games are just more cleaner. Don't worry about that, you know, turnover issue, which can be in favor for the Eagles in this scenario. <laughs> but you know, I, th- I think dome's going to be all around. No, more rain, more more I snow. Am, I'm firmly against you on that one. I love that football is played in all weather: heat, heat, rain. Snow, wind, ice You're watching storm, whatever it is. all your best athletes then, like not at their peak optimal performance then. Yeah, you got. It's all about power. Got to adjust. Got to adjust, adjust and yeah. adapt. Yeah, man. Look, some some domes. So we do get that once in a while for sure. But I want those stadiums in New York, in New England. I want Lambeau Field, man. I want that weather. I want that in the winter. I, I, I want it here. You know what I'm saying? I just want a little bit of that. But I like that. That's a good conversation for us to have another time. Guys, thanks for joining. And we will see you all next week. Thank you so much for listening to our Week 4 Recap. Remember, I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And the Gridiron Heroics Football Show is available anywhere podcasts can be found. Tomorrow, we'll be back with Kyron Samuels to talk about the Monday Night Football recap, as well as his performer and O-line of the week. And we're going to talk a little bit about the power rankings, too. So please subscribe, follow, rate, review, anything that you can where you find us. And we appreciate that so much. We will see you very soon.